All right, well, we're in a um, second week into a new series called Person of Interest, where we are looking at Jesus and determining why he still matters in a world that rejects him and the Bible. And we are looking <clears throat> to see <clears throat> that he really does still matter. But one critique about Jesus is that he's just like any other made-up mythological God. Or perhaps people may shrug him off as just another way to God and not the way and truth and the life. Now we, we don't believe that, of course, but it's important to understand, for us to understand that Jesus isn't just an ancient sage or an ancient uh, place of wisdom or a made-up deity. And one of the ways that we can understand this, that Jesus is the way, and, and we can understand that when he came, we, that helps us to understand that he really is who he said he was because of even when he came. We hinted at this last week as we sought to understand that Jesus came and made an indelible mark on history's timeline, and he came at the right time and divided history, B.C. and A.D. So how does the timing of Jesus' arrival further solidify his importance? Let's consider. Let's consider some things. Before, even before we get to the scripture today, I think it's important to point out the first point today, and that is the timing of Jesus' arrival is perfect. The timing of Jesus' arrival is perfect. Last week, we talked about a fuse leading up to Jesus' arrival and the explosion that happened at his arrival, at his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And then we saw the fallout after Jesus' arrival, and all of those things helped to lead us to an understanding of his importance, who he was, what he came to do, and he is not someone we can merely ignore, shrug off, or think that he doesn't matter immensely. We have to do something with Jesus. We have to answer the question, what should I do with Jesus? Because his life is too significant. What he did is too significant for us to ignore. And for our friends to ignore and for our world to ignore. For far too long, we have lived as Christians in America uh, just uh, out of the desire to be loving and kind that we just kind of personalize our own relationship over here in the corner when Jesus is someone who the world needs to grapple with and you and I are the messengers 
They take the message of his importance, of what he has done, what he accomplished, and the fact that he is God Almighty, not merely a man, not merely an ancient sage, but that he is God Almighty come to put flesh on, to become like you and I, to take, a, take on our sin, to die to our sin and make atonement for our sin so that we do not have to have eternal death, but because of Jesus Christ, we can have eternal life. And that is immensely good news that you and I share with a lost and dying world. Some of our friends, some of our family members, some of the people we rub elbows with every day will die and go to hell if they do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so they must grapple with who he is. And you and I cannot sit idly by in our holy huddles and in our corners and say, well, you know, it's a personal choice. It's a pr no, we can't do that. And now we can't go beat them over the head with a Bible and uh, put, you know, make them submit to uh, Jesus either. We go to them lovingly. We go to them pleadingly. I've found the way. I have found life, and I have found it in Jesus. Won't you just consider it? Won't you at least think about what he said, he, who he is? Won't you at least consider the claims he made? Won't you at least consider what I have discovered? I love you, and I love, uh, where I love your life, and I care about you, and I love Jesus, and I want you to know more about him. I want you to know who he is. That should be our posture for the lost and dying world. That should be our plea to our friends and family members who desperately need Jesus. This Jesus, he is not merely an ancient sage, a source of some kind of wisdom. He is God Almighty who can save their souls. Shouldn't we go Shouldn't we take them the good news? Shouldn't we confront them in the most loving way possible to say, please consider what I know. And Jesus' arrival is perfect in its timing. So we looked at the fuse leading up to Jesus. We looked at the fallout. And we'll continue to do that throughout this series. And Many things contribute to Jesus' arrival at the time he did that I think help us to see how truly important it is and how amazing the timing he came in. We shouldn't be surprised it's God Almighty. He came at the exact right time. But let us consider the truths behind this. Let us consider why he came at the perfect time at the right time. J. Warner Wallace points these out very clearly in his book, Person of Interest, for which this series is named, of course. But for our purposes today, and I encourage you to read that book, he goes into great more depth. But for our purposes today, let me briefly explain these fuses leading up to Jesus' arrival and how important they are. Number one is what he calls the communication fuse. Communication fuse. At this point in time when Jesus arrived, many advancements had, made, had been made in communication. 
The idea that you could write a letter and deliver it to different continents and different countries within a matter of just days or weeks is, is an amazing advancement in technology that did not exist 100 years before that. Writing and the alphabet and the way it all kind of came together did not exist 100, 200 years earlier. Jesus came at the exact appropriate time when there was a common language and common alphabets and a common language that most of the known world spoke because of trade issues and to try to, to trade with each other. And that's Koinine Greek. It's what the, it's what the, the New Testament was written as what they spoke in the day. It's how we understand that this Jesus came at this exact right time for this to advance because communication could advance the gospel and the truth of God and it was able to spread early. It became the means to communicate God's truth and it spread through the early church letters for Christianity to grow rapidly. It allowed it to grow rapidly. Had Jesus come any earlier, it likely wouldn't have had the same effect. So you have the communication fuse. Secondly, we have the colonization fuse. The Roman Empire grew and expanded. It, it grew and grew and grew to this, this moment in time, at the time and the arrival of Jesus. It, it, it expanded into the known world at the time, especially Israel and Jerusalem. And because of Rome's rule, the known world was under the same economic linguistic and military systems allowing for a window of time for Jesus's impact to spread the timing was perfect because of how God used the advancement of the Roman Empire to advance into the world and allow it to flourish in this specific time the third fuse that we see, the, the thing that just, these things that's compiling up, leading to this moment that Jesus arrived, and, and that is the domination fuse. Rome's rule eventually ushered in the Pax Romana. Now, you didn't know you're going to have a history lesson this morning, but let me just tell you what the Pax Romana is. It's a peace treaty that lasted from 27 AD to 180 AD, and this allowed Jews to operate as they wished under Roman rule, as long as they paid taxes, and also allowing Jesus' teachings to spread as well. The, the fourth fuse that we, I want to point out to you today is the transportation fuse. Have you ever heard of all roads lead to Rome? This is a famous saying pointing to the amazing technological advancement of travel by roads at the hands of Rome's empire. This highway system was used to carry the message of Jesus all over the world at the time. And Paul and other apostles walked these very Roman roads to share the gospel. And it spread so quickly to Asia Minor, to even places in Europe in the time of the, which we see in the book of Acts. The fourth fuse I want to talk about today is the toleration fuse. Jesus arrived at this unique point in human history where the Roman Empire embraced religious tolerance, providing a defined window of opportunity Jesus had as a timing 
uh, to do this. Now, Jesus had a time in his mind as well, and we see that in our passages today. Would you turn to John chapter 2 and then flip over just a couple pages to John chapter 7? And if you're able, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? And I want you to see the timing that Jesus came and he had on his mind. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. And what does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Jesus had in his mind a timing. Mary, uh, of course, says, Do whatever he tells you. His mother told the servants. Now John chapter 7, let's read that as well. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled to Galilee since he, didn't, he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of shelters was near. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one, was anything in, no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. My time has not yet arrived. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said these things, he stayed in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you be seated? I think we see two more things that become clear to us when we, and we have to consider as we investigate Jesus as a person of interest. Number one of the following two points, so really point two, but... I think I made that more confusing than it needed to be. So, the next point is, Jesus isn't just another ancient sage. Jesus had in his mind the proper timing of his ministry and miracles, and his mother knows his abilities. She knows who he is. Now, the fact that his mom knows who he is and what he can do is really not necessarily proof that Jesus existed, because my mom once told me that I looked like Matt Damon, and we all know that's a lie, right? Yeah. But our moms, you know, they see a little bit more in us than maybe the rest of the world. And, um, you know, I was hopeful, uh, and that might have been before I lost my hair, but still, it was just a stretch, right? But Jesus knew, Jesus' mom is different. She knew what he could do, and in this moment, she's like, he has what he needs to accomplish the need of the hour. Of course, Jesus says, it's not my time, right? We, we, but he does it anyway. What follows is a recording of Jesus' first miracle, a powerful miracle, one that often just gets overlooked or it leads us into a debate on whether or not you can have alcohol. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that Jesus changed the molecular structure of water to something completely different, signifying at the very same time the cup that he would eventually take, the cup of God's wrath on himself, 
When he would go to the Lord's Supper, as we looked last week and said, this cup is my blood given for you in the new covenant. Take and drink it, right? Jesus... Jesus is showing us in this moment that he's the one that's going to come and take the punishment for our sin. This is a powerful miracle, a powerful miracle where he's establishing that he is more than simply just a rabbi walking around with a bunch of disciples following his every word. This is Jesus, the Lord of all who will die for our sins. He's not just an ancient sage. He changes water to wine and makes it the good wine not the bad wine even and there's some huge claims in scripture that the writers think about this that the writers if trying to make jesus valid to the watching world they might shy away from some of these things but they put them in there anyway Jesus isn't a Buddha or a Dalai Lama offering sage advice and wisdom. As we'll see, he's God Almighty, and he's inviting people's lives to change when they encounter him. He does not merely walk in a room and expect people just to have a better life because he was there. He walks into a room and he expects their lives to be changed because he has the power to change lives. Thank you. Jesus is so powerful. He changes us just like he did the water at our very core. And he takes a dead heart and makes it beat again. Friends, the only hope that your friends and my friends who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord, the only hope that they have for eternity, the only hope that you have for eternity today is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who wants to change your life. He wants to change the molecular structure of your eternal life. And that is who Jesus is. He's not merely an ancient sage. He is God Almighty, and he wants our lives to change. And that's our third and final point, that Jesus calls for people's lives to change. We're in chapter 7 now, and in this passage, verses 1 through 9 and following, Jesus' brothers are mocking him, mocking him. What are you doing up here? Shouldn't you go into a public place and declare who you are? Shouldn't you go and say what you uh, think you need to say? And it, it tells us parenthetically, John helps us to realize at this point, they didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't follow him. They mocked him. There are other places where we see that they were at the front of the line trying to get Jesus stoned. We, we, we realize that these brothers of his, of his were, were skeptics. They didn't believe it. They didn't follow him. And can I just say, as an aside here, by the way, these men were eventually changed by Jesus and no longer saw him as a little brother, but saw him as Lord. Another thing that helps us to understand the validity of Jesus Christ is that his own brothers were willing to go to death for him, that he was God, not just their little, they're just, not just their big brother. I have three brothers. If I came out today and told them that I was 
a deity or I could change their lives or whatever, they'd punch me and say, you are an idiot. Shut up. That's just the way we talk to each other, all right? But no, they eventually were willing to give their very lives for him. We know it's because it's recorded in Scripture. Why hide if you are who you say you are, they're saying to him. Again, Jesus indicates his time is not exactly right. If you're real, go show the world, they tell him. And Jesus says, the world isn't going to like what I have to say to them. He says, I'm going to tell them to leave their wickedness and evil ways and turn to me. Jesus ends up going to the festival in secret, but eventually stands up and speaks anyway. And I want you to see what he says. It's not on the screen. So if you're following along in the scripture, would you just turn there? Chapter 7. In verse 37, on the last day and most important of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. You see, Jesus calls people who are hungry and thirsty to thirst no more, to hunger no more, to come to him and receive the living water, to come to him and receive the Spirit of God, to seal them for eternity, to come and receive the power of God in their lives, to be, uh, to be absolutely and completely changed by him. That is what Jesus calls today for you and me. That's what he calls for the world. And even though, just like Jesus acknowledged, some will not want to hear it, some will turn away, some will not like what he has to say, we must still go and say, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Jesus has what you need. And go to him and be filled. Are you thirsty today? Do you hear Jesus' voice calling to you, change, listen to me, follow me. You can find in him living waters that will fill you up and never let you thirst again. Would you drink today from the well that never runs dry? Let's pray. God, we need you in this moment. Lord, you have revealed so clearly who you are. You are the God who changes people. Would you change us today, Lord? Would you would you take our lives and as the song we sang earlier, Lord, you if less of me means more of you, take everything, Jesus. Would you 
work in our hearts and lives and change us, Lord. Rearrange us completely as you turn the water to wine. Lord, would you turn our dead hearts alive to you, Lord? If someone's here today, Lord, and doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Lord, would you change their heart today, Lord? Would you breathe life into them today? Would you give them eternal life today, God? Many of us, Lord, need a fresh touch from you, Lord. Just to know that your spirit is there, that we are thirsty and we want more of you, Lord. We want more of your presence. We want more of living waters flowing out of us. We want more of the spirit working in our hearts and lives, Lord. We want more of you. And as as we already sang at the beginning of the service, open the eyes of our hearts because we want to see you today, God. Would you help us? to worship in this way in these few moments, Lord. And if you're here, if you want to do the work in someone's heart to change the Lord, would you do that today? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as you stand, we're going to sing. And as you sing, if God is working,